I think we covered it all. I know. Take a breath. Yeah, sorry. Everybody comfortable? Is it a little warm? No? You're okay? Okay. All right, I just turned the heat down, so if you start putting your jackets on, I'll turn it back up. Okay? If, you're, if there's excessive cuddling going on, I'll know what's going on. Time to turn the heat up. <laughs> so, check that right now. Well, I want to uh, jump into some teaching. Uh, this is part four in this uh, series that we're calling Defining Moments. And we've said every week that a defining moment is that moment in time when a truth, either something that you once knew and trying to drift it from, or maybe a brand new truth to you, when truth is brought front and center. That's how we're defining a defining moment. Uh, it's the time where it's like a moment in time where suddenly we're forced to view all of life through a, a lens of this new truth, and life begins to look different. And sometimes you don't notice it in the moment, but when you look back, you can identify some of those defining moments in your experience. We've given us some examples <coughs> these last few weeks, uh, some awesome examples from Scripture. And uh, all of us have had some defining moments in our lives. You could probably tell our own stories. It uh, doesn't matter if you're a religious person or not. If you've, uh, you've, you've had defining moments. You've had defining moments in your family. You've had defining moments in your marriage. You've had defining moments in your career, in your education, in your finances. Those times when the reality of the situation is so obvious that you just can't avoid it anymore. And all of us, I think, are experts at ignoring certain truths, certain types of truths, uh, aren't we? Uh, I know... Some of you are, so we might as well just own it, right? Aren't we experts at ignoring certain types of truth? When the red flags are waving, you know, and the warning signs are flashing and the sirens are sounding, and we just don't want to face the truth, so we go, you know, run away and, and escape that somehow. But then suddenly something happens, and we read something. Can someone do me a favor and close that door right there? Thanks. We can't be hearing kids in here. We don't want to be hearing the laughter and activity of children. So, <laughs> and you'll want to go over there and see what's going on. Um, thank you. That moment when we read something or someone says something in a conversation or you maybe might, this happens, might even hear something in a church service and it's like an aha moment and you have a decision to make and we can embrace what's clearly true. We can embrace what we know to be the facts. We can, or we can ignore it and, uh, we can close our eyes, pretend it's not true and bear our heads somewhere and go on living our lives as if that truth didn't exist, um, it's like maybe if I ignore the truth long enough, it'll just go away. It's kind of like the same reason you don't open certain bills for a long time, hoping that maybe you just won't have to pay it, because we've all been there. <coughs> Interestingly enough, the Bible says that one of the reasons that Jesus came to this world was to present God in such a way that he was undeniable and that you couldn't possibly miss him. To present God in such a way that we could no longer be deceived into thinking that God was who we wanted him to be, rather that God is who he really is. And throughout Jesus' ministry, people had encounters with Jesus, and in these defining moments, he clarified for them what God was really like. And in many of these cases, when these men and women were confronted with what God is really like, their lives changed forever. And in some cases, they just refused to face up to, the, to what they always thought to be true, and, or what they just discovered to be true when they, when they encountered Jesus, and they would walk away from that. The challenge for you and the challenge for me, as we continue to move through this series forever long, as we're confronted with these truths, and some of this stuff is very uncomfortable, and the challenge is this, will we stand in the searing light of truth with our eyes squinted, saying, I'm going to stand here until my eyes adjust, 
in my eyes, are really having a hard time adjusting today because this is my first time to speak at this podium since I got progressive lenses a few weeks ago. So if you find me doing that, that's why. So I should have gone with bigger print. Uh, to say that I'm going to stand here in this uncomfortable, searing light with my eyes squinted shut until my eyes adjust because I want to embrace this truth. Or will we, as so many do, retreat to the darkness, retreat to what we're accustomed to, retreat to that lifestyle, retreat to those things in life that are normal for us, those things that we're used to, and those things that make us feel comfortable. So my plea to you, as it has been each week in this series, is that you would, as you come here and listen, as you read your Bible, as you participate in conversations relationally and in small group settings, as you bump into these uncomfortable truths, that instead of running the other way, and saying, well, I don't get that. I don't like that. I don't get it. I've never heard that before. That's so weird. I don't think that's true. I don't, that doesn't sit right with me. That would cause me to have to change something in my life. That doesn't work in the 21st century. That you would just stand there. <coughs> because here's Jesus' promise. Remember this? He said, if you will abide, that is, if you will remain, if you will stay, if you stay there in my word, in my truth, as uncomfortable as it is, as challenging as it is, as impractical, as counterintuitive, as it is, you, you don't want to dismiss this right off the bat. If we'll just stand there and take it in, eventually your eyes will begin to adjust. And here's the promise. As your eyes adjust to the truth, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. On the surface, this new thing that comes front and center seems like it can't be true. On the surface, there are things that the Scripture and the things we hear about God, and they seem sometimes to contradict. And you're like, no, 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 because that's not what I always have always been taught or always believed or always wanted to believe. So before we dismiss something new, before we dismiss brand new truth, before we dismiss something that is searing and bright and painful, would we just pause for a little while and stand there? And I believe Jesus is saying to us, your eyes will adjust. When you stay there long enough, your eyes will adjust to the light, and you'll see the truth, and the truth will make you free. Today's story is so appropriate, I think, for us, because this is a truth that all of us, I think, struggle with at some point or another. Um, Because today's character is in John chapter 9, so if you have a Bible or your app and you want to look it up, or if you can get online, if you use use the Wi-Fi in here, uh, if you're not the first three people in the room, you're probably not going to get on, and we're working at correcting that situation. So, And I don't know how your cell signal is in here, so you might have to actually bring a Bible and sit under a light. But anyway, we're going to look at John chapter 9. I'm going to have all the verses on the screen, so you may not have to even bother. Um, here's the thing about this character in John chapter 9. He discovers something that is so easy to miss. And what he discovers, what he illustrates for us, is, is, is something that we tend to struggle with, and it's simply this that you don't have to understand everything to believe in something. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. How many of you, will, are, you tend to want to know everything there is to know about something before you jump in? I'm that way. I like to have as all of my facts together. In fact, the more volumes of information and data you can give me, the better. Yeah, and then if I could systemize that and organize it, that's better yet. But you don't have to have all your questions answered in order to believe in something. And I'm guessing that if you took part in the caucus yesterday or you're going to take part in a caucus today, that you would find this to be true. That if you're going to, you don't have to know all the facts to believe in something. We, we practice this all the time, and yet sometimes we reserve the right when it comes to our faith to hold back. Because a lie that some of us struggle with, and the lie that some of your friends and your family members and your coworkers struggle with, and the reason maybe some of you in this room continue to push back a little bit from Christianity, you keep doing the church thing, but you haven't totally bought in. Maybe the reason you're hesitating 
is because you got lots of questions. There are lots of things that you don't have answers for, and nobody seems to have satisfactory answers for. There are things that you think need explaining, or you know somebody like that. And you've bought into this mentality that says, until I understand everything, I can't believe in anything when it comes to God and it comes to the claims of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to discover today is this wonderful liberating truth that I hope you'll stand there and take it. I hope we'll stand in the light long enough that we don't have to understand everything to believe in something, and you don't have to understand everything in order to put your faith in someone. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 9. This is in the the Gospel of John. Um, This is one of those, it's it's a funny story to me. It gets kind of hysterical at times. And if you don't think the Bible's funny, then I'm, I'm sorry you don't have a sense of humor, but I think this is funny. So I think this is an incident in the life of Jesus that I think his disciples just kind of stood around and were like, I think afterwards they're just debriefing on the day or on the week and standing around the campfire and they're like, can you believe that? Did you see that? Did you see the look on his face? That was wild. Can you believe that happened? And I'm glad that John decided to tell us the story and, and he told us the story with a lot of detail. And in the story, we discover this powerful, life-changing truth, this defining moment for this man, that you don't have to understand everything to believe in something, that even though there are some things that are unexplainable, there are also some things that are undeniable. So don't miss this. When we focus on the unexplainable and avoid facing the undeniable, we'll never have faith. But as you begin embracing the undeniable, the unexplainable won't shipwreck your faith, as it does oftentimes when we focus on the questions we can't answer. So let me read you this story. I'm going to read a lot of verses today and kind of talk through this as we go. And hopefully you can keep up with me. And, and Stan is going to do the best he can to figure out where I'm at in this. So we're going to work on this together. Let me read you this story. This uh, Stan's running the media up there in case you're wondering who I'm talking about. This story is, is uh, so great. I just I love this. So here we go. John chapter 9, verse 1, where the story begins. And in your Bible, it might have a heading. If you have a Bible that has headings, it might say something like, Jesus heals man born blind or something like that. Like for some reason, the Bible needs headlines. I don't know where that idea came from. Anyway, verse 1, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, so here we go with some misunderstandings about God, right from the get-go, early on in the story. This is what we've been talking about through this series, is the misunderstandings we tend to buy into about God. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this is fascinating, um, because everybody has misunderstandings about God. Everybody in this room, we all have misunderstandings about God. One of the reasons Jesus came was to clear up those misunderstandings. And one of the things that people in this culture uh, believed was that blind people or people who suffered from any kind of physical ailment, that they were paying for their sin or for the sins of a previous generation. That's what they believed. And you might think, wow, that's crazy stuff. But that's what they believed. So let's not judge them. That's what they believed. So they said, hey, hey, Jesus, here's this guy, and he's been blind from birth. Whose sin is he paying for, his own sin or his parents' sin? And so Jesus shines a little light on them and gives them a little truth. Verse 3. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened. In other words, this man was born blind. This man has spent years in the dust as a beggar. So that the work of God may be displayed in his life. It's like, what? Yeah, this isn't about somebody's sin. This is about God wanting to do something. He goes a little deeper into this teaching. Verse 4. As long as it is today, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. I think this is one of those teaching times where uh, the disciples are going, yeah, okay, Jesus, that's nice, but we were talking about this blind guy, and he starts like, 
Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, guys, it's, it's, it's day, it's daylight because I'm with you. And while I'm here, I'm going to shine some light everywhere. So take some notes, pay attention, get this into you. This is the optimal time to learn what God is like. So pay attention because night is coming because soon I'm going to leave. And when I leave you, the night will cover you again and there will be darkness and there will be more confusion about God. So here's your big opportunity, you guys, to hear the truth about God. So pay attention. So just stand there and take it. We've got to do the work of God while I'm here. So listen carefully because you guys, we're going to take the light. You are going to be the ones to take the light of truth into the future generation so people know what God is like. So pay attention. So he makes this completely outrageous statement. He says, I am the light of the world. And, and, and we've memorized that and we've put it on, you know, things that we hang in our, on our wall and in bumper stickers and stuff. And we just accept that in the light of the world. But I think they're like, uh, okay, Jesus, that's kind of crazy thing to say because I don't think you're paying attention. There's like a hundred of us here, like a hundred. You're the light of the world. No one even knows you're here. I mean, we're in Palestine, Rome. If there's a light of the world, Rome is the light of the world. I mean, the Greek philosophers are the light of the world. You're a carpenter in Palestine. Light of the world, what do you mean by that, Jesus? So Jesus does something to illustrate to those who are standing there that he's not just throwing words around. Verse 6. Having said this, means he's connecting what he just said with what he's about to do. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. This is where the fun begins. This is when the narrative takes on a completely different angle. This blind man... <coughs> who doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. He goes to the pool to wash the mud off his eyes because some stranger walked out to him and put mud on his face. And suddenly he's seeing. And he makes a beeline for home to see his parents because suddenly he's seeing. Verse 8. He goes back to his neighborhood. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging because he was a beggar asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted... I am the man. Now, you might think you're the man, but he's the man, apparently. Now, this is where the story gets kind of strange. Here's a man who'd been blind for years and years. We don't know how old he was, but his whole life he'd been blind. Apparently, he was living with his parents, and all of a sudden, one day, he's healed, and he can see, and his life has changed, and an argument ensues. Like, that's not him. No, yes, it is. No, that's him. No, it's not. Yeah, yes, that's him. No, 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 it can't be him. Because that guy can see and that guy was blind. So that's, and he's like, yes, it is. It's me. Like, I would know. It's me. And they're going, well, I don't think it's him. He says it's him, but I don't think it's him. Kind of looks like him, but I don't think it's him. And his neighbors are arguing because they don't understand how a blind man could see. But he understood and he insisted. He says, I'm the man, verse 10. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. You know what I think he's thinking? I think he's thinking, who cares? Who cares how? Who cares who? Or when or where? All I know is I was blind all my life. I've been a blind beggar and now I can see. All I, and you want an explanation? I thought I might get a little attention. I thought we might have a little celebration, maybe a party. But you want an explanation? 
So they said, how then were your eyes open? They demanded. And he replied, verse 11. The man they called Jesus made some mud, he didn't know how, and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. But who cares? I can see. I don't know how this happened. I don't know why. I mean, all I know is what I told you, and frankly, it doesn't make any sense. Putting mud on my eyes, I would have tried that years ago. That doesn't heal you. But I can see. Verse 12. Well, where is this man? What? Where is he? Who cares? I can see I've been a blind beggar all my life, and all you have is a bunch of questions for me. Well, how did it happen? Now you want to know where he is, and I don't know. I don't know, he said. I don't know where he is. I don't know who he is. I don't know why he did it. I don't know how he did it. Could somebody please get me a cake? Let's have a party. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been blind. Now we're getting serious. Verse 14. The day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, incidentally, was a Sabbath. (gasps) Yes, that's where a little dragnet theme would have been cool right there. Jesus, you should have known better than do the miracle on the Sabbath. I mean, Jesus, come on, you're a rabbi. You should know this stuff. Who do you think you are? Verse 15. The Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He's like, okay. You put mud in my eyes, and I washed, and now I can see. Are you happy? Is this where we start the celebration now? Is this where the party starts? Did somebody invite a band? Because I like music, and I think we should have a party. And is there a parade? Because I can see. And all they got is questions. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. In other words, this man is not from God because we know what God is like. We know what God is like. In fact, we have God in a box right over there in that building over there. He's right in the slot, right where we keep him. We know what God does. We know what God doesn't do. We know how God acts. We have God completely under our control. And our God, because we know God like nobody else knows God, because we're like wicked smart. We know what God would do and wouldn't do, and God would not do a miracle on the Sabbath. And since we know that God would not do this, we know that God did not do this. God did not heal that man, end of case. Because what has happened does not make any sense to us in a way that we view God. Therefore, it wasn't God. And we read that and we think, what a bunch of narrow-minded, arrogant, egocentric people to think that they knew so much about God that they beforehand, they knew everything God would or wouldn't do. That everything God could or couldn't do. So it didn't make sense to them. They couldn't explain it, so they refused to believe it. End of verse 16. (coughs) But others asked, How can a sinner (coughs) do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. So you're saying he can't be of God because he did it on the Sabbath, therefore he's not of God. Yet it's a divine miracle, yet it can't be of God. We're confused, we can't explain it. Somebody has got to come in here and put all this together for us. Somebody explain it to me. Meanwhile, the blind guy is over there going, I don't care. I don't care. He's watching this stuff for the first time, and this is what he's seeing of human interaction. And he's like, could we have a little celebration, please? Could someone be happy for me for like a moment? Verse 17. They turn again to the blind man. He's not blind anymore. They still called the blind man because they didn't believe it. They turn again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Okay, it's like we can't decide 
who he was. We can't decide if God got out of our box, if he escaped somehow, and maybe this guy's of God, but if he's not of God, I mean, what, what, do we, what do we say that he is? And here's how he answered. He said, he's a prophet. Maybe he said it, I think he said it like this. He's a prophet? I mean, he didn't, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen him, okay? Never laid eyes on him. I don't know what he looks like. I was just sitting there begging. Next thing I know, I had this mud on my face and somebody thought I should go wash it. And I thought, that sounds like a good idea. And then I came out of the water seeing and I went home and I thought maybe we'd have a celebration and you're asking me to explain what happened and I don't know what happened and I don't know who he is and I don't know where he is now and I don't know if he's from God and I don't know if he's a sinner and I don't know if you're supposed to do these things on the Sabbath day because you people wouldn't let me into the synagogue because I was a blind person so I don't know what I'm even supposed to believe. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know and I don't care because I can see. I can't explain all the stuff you're asking me but I can't deny the fact that I can see. Why are we so hung up on explaining and understanding? Why can't we just focus on what happened? I can see. Verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind. We're in verse 18. They still, haven't, they still can't get their minds around it. And had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. This is where we live sometimes, isn't it? Since we can't explain it. I don't know, maybe you've been there. Maybe that's part of your story. Maybe it was behind you and you had to get to that defining moment in your life, but you can identify with this. You know, since I can't explain it, since I've never seen it this way before, since we've never done it this way before, since I don't think God would do that, since I don't think uh, a good God would allow that, since I understand God and I've got them all figured out and I've got them right over here in my box, over here on my shelf, and things are going the way I thought, you know, I don't know. But other than that, I don't know if I can believe because my belief is based on my ability to understand and put all these pieces together. And my belief is not belie- based on what's undeniably true that a blind man can see. So they called in his parents, verse 19. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say, <laughs> you say, was born blind? So here we go again. How is it that now he can see? We want an explanation. And it gets tricky. They said, we know he's our son, the parents answered. We know he was born blind. How is it that he now can see? And they're probably thinking, we, we don't care. Not important to us because he can see. He can get a job now. He can move out of our basement and get a place of his own. Life is different now. You know, why, why are we having this conversation? Why does this matter? He was born blind. Our hearts were broken. He'd never get a job. He'd never support himself. He'd beg on the street. He'd never be a part of society. And now he can see and we're being interrogated. What is wrong with this picture? Why can't we celebrate what we know to be true? Why are we so hung up on what we can't explain? So he said, we know he's our son. <coughs> we know he was born blind. Verse 21. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Verse 23, that was why his parents said he's of age. Ask him. Let me just tell you what this means. We read, they'll put you out of the synagogue, and we think, so what? I've been wanting to leave this church anyway. I'm going to find another one down the street. Big deal. Let me tell you what this meant. To be put out of the synagogue meant basically that you were declared a heretic. You were considered a reprobate. You couldn't participate in temple worship, which meant you could never be right with God. 
Okay? You couldn't atone for your sins. You were a social outcast. It would affect you financially and in your business and all that, where you could work, who you could do business with. It would affect you in terms of your relationships in the community. It would affect who you could marry and who could marry you, who, you could, be, who could be associated with your family. It would affect where you could live. Basically, to be thrown out of the synagogue meant you were being thrown out of society and you were categorized. And these Pharisees decided before looking at any of the evidence, before they looked at what was undeniable, before they tried to sort through what they couldn't explain, they had already decided that anybody for any reason who says Jesus is the Christ without trial and without further evidence will be cast out of society. You'll be excommunicated from life as you know it. (coughs) So here are these poor parents who on one hand want to celebrate what Jesus has done, (coughs) <coughs> Sorry, And on the other hand, they're afraid of what the Jewish leaders have promised to do to anybody who's going to make a claim like they would like to make. And they're afraid to say, well, we think that Jesus, who must be from God, healed our son. So they don't say that. They just say, we don't know. Ask him. So verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who'd been blind. <laughs> Give glory to God by telling the truth. In other words... We're giving you another chance to, to say the right thing. We know this man's a sinner. Give glory to God by telling the truth. It's like, how do you know this man's a sinner? Well, we'll tell you. Because we know what God does and doesn't do. We know what God would and wouldn't do. We know that. He's right here in our box. Just as we created him to be. And what happened over here with you, guy, I don't know, blind, not blind, whatever your story is, what happened here is such an out-of-the-box experience, and so we know that that can't be God, because we've decided that it isn't a divine miracle. might look like it, but it isn't, because God, as we know Him, would never do this. This man, then, is not of God. He is a sinner. Now, you who've been healed, you give glory to God and quit giving credit to this man, Jesus the sinner. This is the punchline, verse 25. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. In other words, I don't know where he's from. I don't know who he is. I don't even know what he looks like. I don't know what his motivation is. I don't know if God does this. I don't know if the Sabbath is the proper time. I don't know if we should expect God to do these kinds of things. I don't know how the mud interlaced with the whole spit thing that he put on my face. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have answers to your questions. There's a lot about this experience that I just don't know. But there's one thing that is undeniably true. And the one undeniably true thing kind of counterbalances all that I don't know. And here it is. I was blind, but now I see see. I was blind, but now I see. And there's an exclamation point there. (laughs) I think he's done with the questioning. And it doesn't really matter to me if God's supposed to act that way or not. It doesn't matter to me who this guy was or where he's from or who he's related to or what day it happened on. Don't ask me any more of your questions because I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. What is undeniably true is enough for me to say, this man must be from God because once I was blind and now I can see. Verse 26, <laughs> how, how did he open your eyes? <laughs> we we want to know what and how and why. We can't embrace it as true until we understand it. We can't put our faith in it until we can explain it. And he answers them, verse 27, I have told you already and you did not listen. 
Why do you want to hear it again? Ooh, listen, wait. Do you want to become his disciple too? You see... You seem so interested. You seem so committed to figuring this out. You seem to want to unravel this mystery. You just don't want to let this thing go. Is it that you want to be his disciple too? That was a wrong thing to say. Verse 28, they hurled insults at him. They were nicer to him when he was a blind man, okay? When he was a blind beggar, they at least throw some coin his way. But now God has done something that they don't understand. Now they're out of control. Their circumstances have spun upside down and outside all the boundaries, and they can't explain it. So they're doing everything they can to get God back in their little box and discount what is undeniably real and true. And they said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And since we don't know, and since we can't explain it, it must not be true because we are keepers of all the truth and knowledge, of course. We've been everywhere in the universe at the same time. We know everything there is to know about God. And God would not have done this. God could not have done this because God wouldn't act that way. Therefore, we don't believe God had anything to do with this. Verse 30, the man answered. (coughs) Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Like, hello? Everybody else seems to know where he comes from because when you heal a blind man, it's pretty evident that you're from God. I mean, I've never been to school. They wouldn't let me go to school, but I've been sitting on the side of the road begging all my life, and even I know where he comes from. Verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. I'm not sure. There's all kinds of weird theology going on here in their heads. But anyway, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this I replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They excommunicated him from the synagogue. No parade, no band, no cake, no celebration. No, come here, tell us your story. We want to hear it again. Tell us again. How'd that happen? No, you're out of here. We can't explain it. Yes, it's undeniable, but it's unexplainable. So we're going to focus on what's unexplainable and ignore what's undeniable. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. I have always wanted to know how he heard these kinds of things. Do you think a messenger had to tell him, or did he just hear it? Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. How cool would that be? And when he found him, he went looking for him. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? This guy's never seen Jesus before. They had an interaction, but he's never seen him. And Jesus begins to speak, and he recognizes Jesus' voice, right? (coughs) He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Well, don't you need some explanation? Nope. Don't you need to get some questions answered? Nope. Would you like to know how this? Nope. No, 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 no. Because I don't care. Because see, I used to be blind. And now I can see. And you're the guy who did it. And you tell me what to do. And I'll do it. You tell me what to believe. And I'll head in that direction. I'll go there. I don't need an explanation. Because once I was blind, and now I can see. And I don't need any more evidence. I don't need any more explanation. This is really all that I care about. Verse 37. You have now seen him. What a powerful word for this guy to hear. You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I love his response. The man said, 
He said, Lord, you please explain to me how when you put the mud on my eyes, it affected my eyesight. Can you explain to me how that, can you explain to me scientifically like how that all worked? Because that's really important for me to know. If we're going to be like a thing here and I'm going to follow you, then I need to know how that worked. And, and, oh, and also, why did you do this on the Sabbath, Jesus? Because you knew better to, than to do that on the Sabbath. Obviously, I mean, if you did this on the Sabbath, I got to wonder if you're really from God. Could you please explain? No, no, no. The man said, Lord, I believe. There's a lot that I don't understand. There's some things I can't deny. A lot of the questions that don't seem to have answers, there are some things, though, that I can't deny. And he said, I believe. And he worshipped him. People have asked me from time to time, do you ever doubt? And my answer to that is, I went to seminary. I'm a professional Christian. Of course I don't doubt. What are you talking about? Yes, of course I doubt. Do you ever have questions about the Bible and God and Jesus? And Do you ever doubt? The answer is absolutely. In fact, sometimes I probably have so many questions that would scare you if you actually knew. You may not be sitting right there. But I've, I've had doubts that maybe you've never even thought of yet because of what I've seen and what I've read and where I've been and the stories that I have heard. Of course I have doubts. Don't we all? But over the years, I've discovered something about my doubts. And I bet it's something that we have in common when it comes to doubts. Do you know when I doubt? I doubt when I get laser-focused on the pieces that are missing. I doubt when I got all focused on, well, what about? No one's answered this. And wouldn't God? And why would God? And how do you explain that? And, oh, no, I've lost my faith. Because I don't know about this. Here's when I doubt. And this is probably when you doubt too. We doubt when we get all hung up on what seems to be unexplainable and lose sight of what is undeniable. See, I doubt when God doesn't act the way I think God should act. You know, the, I doubt when God gets out of the little box that I've crammed him into. And I say, here's, my, here's what my God does. Want a little peek at my God? I can hold him right here in my hands. I've crafted him perfectly. He's exactly what I want him to be. I'm totally comfortable with who he is. It's like, do you want to pet him? He's so cute in there. He's so harmless. Just my perfect little God, just, yeah. I don't want to let him get out of my box because he might do something that I'm not comfortable with and that I think he shouldn't do. <clears throat> when God does something or when God lets something happen, because sometimes God doesn't, oh, I can't go there, never mind. When God does something or God just lets something happen that I don't think he should let happen, when God doesn't respond, when God doesn't answer a prayer the way that I think he should answer it, when God is unexplainable to me, then all of a sudden I begin to doubt a little bit. And let me be real honest. When, when God doesn't act the way I think he should act, when God doesn't do what I think God should do, what, if God doesn't do what I would do if I were God, then all of a sudden my faith begins to shrink. But you know what I've learned about my doubt? <coughs> Now, when I shift my focus from those things that are unexplainable to those things that are undeniable, 
my faith soars even in the face of unanswered questions. Even in the face of the mysteries that surround our great God who won't stay or even fit in our little box. You know what's undeniable to me? When I have to stand back and say, you know, show me the big picture, what's undeniable to me is that we're here, first of all. What's undeniable is that something exists. What's undeniable is that through all the ages, the only answer to the creation is to believe in a theory that says everything came from nothing, just, uh, just out of nothing, and take God out of the picture, and here's something, and it came from nothing, and that's the best we can come up with. You know what's undeniable? That there's a creator and there's a creation. And all the earth and all the things of the universe shout of his glory and shout of his presence and shout of his existence. That there's a God and that's undeniably true and that's the starting point. You know what else is undeniably true? That a couple thousand years ago, a man showed up on, the, on this earth. His name was Jesus, and he was a carpenter's son, and he was a nobody in, in the middle of nowhere. And he should have come and gone like everybody else at that age. But he began to teach some strange things, and he began to perform some miracles. And the way that we know that he performed miracles is because people who were closest to him began to write about him. It's like, so what? There were other teachers. There were other miracle workers. But this man died on a Roman cross. We know that from Roman history, and the Bible tells us that he rose from the dead. Well, who could possibly believe that a man rose from the dead? Well, the eyewitnesses who wrote about it and eventually gave up their lives, not because of what they believed, not because of a belief system, but not because of what Jesus taught. They gave up their lives because they believed, because they saw it, that Jesus rose from the dead. There was undeniable evidence. And you know what else is undeniable? That this message spread throughout that region, through the Middle East, into Asia Minor, into Europe, and spread all over the world. And today, as many as a quarter of the world's population believes that a Jewish carpenter rose from the dead. And the reason they believe that is that at some point in their lives, they placed their faith in the death on the cross for the atonement of their sin, and they changed from the inside out. You can go to every continent on the globe, you can find Christians in all kinds of different cultures speaking all kinds of different languages, and you press them to tell you what happened. And they tell you the same thing, that I need a forgiveness of my sin. And when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, when I believed that his death paid the price for my sin, something happened on the inside of me, and it has revolutionized the way I live my life. It has transformed me. I have peace. I have joy. And fear doesn't run my life anymore. And every continent, just about every culture and every language, it's undeniably true. That a Jewish carpenter that Rome tried to destroy, and the Jewish religious system tried to destroy him, (coughs) and we know more about him than any other ancient person. I mean, why do we even know his name? Why did these stories survive? Why did these people give their lives for the fact that a dead man rose from the dead? It's undeniable evidence. Oh, you know what else I know? For me, for the last 40 plus years, I've heard the stories, stories of people from all walks of life, people who grew up in a church, people who'd never been in church, people who came from another church background, people who had catastrophic uh, stories, people who had lost parents as children or parents who'd lost children. You name the experience, because haven't you heard the stories? And every one of them says the same thing, that I got to a point in my life where life just didn't make sense and it just seemed to be spinning out of control and out of desperation. I just That's all it was. And I had nowhere else to turn. I just said, God, I want to know that you're there. 
I need to know your peace. And God met me in my need. And through his son, Jesus, they would say, my life changed. And my life really began. And it began to change. I'm changing. And there's peace. And it's undeniable. Oh, and sometimes there are missing pieces, of course. Are there things we can't explain? Of course. But the truth is so undeniable. That there's a God and he sent his son into the world to die for your sin, to die for my sin. And when I embraced that truth, it changed my life from the inside out. And it's not an American thing. And it's not a European thing. It's a human thing. It's a universal thing. Because this son of a carpenter said, I'm the light of the world. And his disciples had no idea what he meant by that. <clears throat> and then he said, I'm the lamb of God. I'll lay down my life for the sins of the world. And no one would have taken him seriously except that he rose from the dead and 2,000 years later we still celebrate that fact and we worship him. Do you know what else is undeniable? That there's a thirst in every man and woman that cannot be quenched by the stuff of this world. There's a thirst that cannot be quenched by relationships. There's a thirst that cannot be quenched by stuff. There's a thirst that success and progress and achievement cannot quench. And people for generations and generations have tried to get themselves into a position where they can lay in bed at night and everything will be well with their souls apart from God and and everything being at peace in their hearts apart from God. And they've tried and they've tried and they've worked really hard at it, but there's an unquenchable thirst. And they look over and their golden retriever seems to be at peace while having no purpose in his life. It just doesn't seem to bother him. He just eats and sleeps and hangs around. But as human beings, there's something in us that desires something more. Do you know what's undeniable? That that thirst is never quenched apart from the creature connecting to the creator through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know what I've discovered? I discovered that once I place my faith in Christ, even though there are things I can't explain, I don't understand, and there's so much that is undeniable. And you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to know everything that there is to know in order to believe. Because as time goes by, the missing pieces begin to come together. And the Holy Spirit sheds this light on the truth. And after a while, what was such a mystery and what was such a faith killer? At times, after t- as time goes by, those pieces start to come together and they start to fit. And did you know that over time, if you give God the opportunity, if you'll get engaged with what God's doing in your life, he'll give you eyes to see. If you stay in the scathing light of his truth long enough, eventually your eyes adjust and you'll begin to see things you'd never seen before. And even the pieces that weren't necessary to begin your faith journey, they begin to get filled in. Because don't miss this. You don't have to understand everything to believe. There will always be pieces that are unexplainable. But there's so much that's undeniable. And the wise man and woman and teenager is the one who says, I'm going to shift my focus from what is unexplainable to what is undeniable. And in that defining moment, you'll know your Savior and you'll be His. Here's what I would suggest you do with this message today. If you're here and you're a Christian... and maybe you have some doubts. Welcome to the club. I'm glad we're all members and can all hang out together with our doubt. Welcome to the club, because we're going to have doubts. And and I just want to throw this out to you, because if there's anything, if if there are no gaps in your understanding of God, it's probably time to just go a little deeper and stretch your understanding. 
there are going to be some pieces that we just can't seem to make fit. The challenge to us is, will we spend our lives so focused on the undeniable that we'll allow God the time to give us insight and understanding into the as of yet unexplained? Maybe you're here today, you've been coming for a while, and, and this has been your issue. You've been listening to us teach, you've been reading, you've been engaging in some small group conversations, you've been checking the Bible out for yourself, you, you, you've started into this thing, and you're thinking, all right, I, I, as soon as all the pieces come together, then I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, and as soon as I get these questions answered, I'm going to trust Christ. <clears throat> Let me just help lead you to freedom this morning, okay? You're not smart enough, and you're, you don't have enough insight, because... We don't have that capability as humans, okay? We're not omniscient enough to understand it all. You're not, neither am I, certainly. And it's okay to ask the questions. It's okay to investigate. It's okay to have unanswered questions. But you don't have to understand everything to believe something. So perhaps, for you, time has come to close the deal. Because you've been circling the runway over and over and saying, I'm going to land as soon as I get my questions answered. I would just say today is your day. You need to speak with someone here today. You need to go home and get alone by yourself. Take some time away today. Get on your knees. You need to talk with the person who invited you here in the first place. Or come see me after the service. You just need to have some time with God where you can say, Heavenly Father, I'm landing this thing. It might be a rough landing because I don't have all the answers to my questions, but I believe. What is undeniable, I believe. And there is so much that I don't understand, but I've seen enough to know there's a God, Jesus is His Son, and today I receive Him as my Savior. If you're at a place where you want to communicate something like that to one of us and one of your pastors, you can use a Connect card in the seat in front of you and put that in the offering box or something and we'll touch base with you. But There's a third group of you and you're not missing a few pieces. You're missing like half the puzzle. But you know what? I'm curious. What do you call it? A seeker? Yeah. This is what I would say to you. Keep coming. Just keep coming. Just stay engaged. Keep coming on Sundays. Keep having conversations with your Christian friends. Get into those environments where you can ask questions and have them get some answers. Keep reading. Get some of your questions answered. That's a good thing. But if you're here today and you'd say, if it's true, I want to know it's true. If there are questions that I can have answered, I want to have them answered. Just keep coming, keep listening, get connected with some Christ followers. Here's what will happen. Over time, what's undeniable will become clearer and clearer. And even though there will always be some things that are unexplainable, eventually, by God's grace, you'll find faith in Christ that rests on what is absolutely undeniable. And I believe that God in His patience will lead you, and He will guide you, and He will speak to you, and one day you'll be sitting here, you'll be driving down the road, you'll be reading something, you'll have that aha moment. And enough of the picture will come into focus and you'll say, I believe. Okay, I believe. And even with the missing pieces, what's undeniable will support your faith and you can be born into God's incredible family. I don't know what you need to do with what you've heard today. I think this is an issue we're all going to grapple with for, at some level. Just remember this, that God doesn't expect you to understand everything in order to believe. There will always be pieces that are unexplainable. And God is such a good, gracious God that there's enough that is undeniable that we can trust Him with our lives and with our eternal destiny. Let's pray together. As I pray, I'd like for the band, uh, worship team, to come to this stage. That'd be great.
There's a lot in this story for us to identify with, I think. I don't know, maybe maybe you identify more with the Pharisees. You got your questions you got to have answered. Because you got your neat little tidy God in your box on your shelf. That's good enough for you. It's always worked for you. So explain this to me. I can't accept it because it's unexplainable. Maybe you identify more with that. Maybe you're at a place where you just, you are the blind beggar. And all you know is that once you were blind and now you can see. And all you want to do is respond to Jesus and say, I believe and I worship you. Let's worship him with our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time together today, for the conversations around tables this morning, for the time in your word. And pray that you lead us now in our time of worship. May our hearts, our words, our voices uh, be pleasing to you. For those of us whose story is that once I was blind and now I can see, God, may the words that we sing truly be words of worship. May our lives and the actions and the interactions with people and the relationships and everything that is true of us may bring glory to you as you deserve our worship. We are grateful people in Jesus' name. Amen.